0: Welcome to Smoky Mountain Air from Great Smoky Mountains Association where we explore the diverse, natural, and cultural history of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. I'm Valerie Polk. On this episode, my co-host Karen Key and I look back at an interview we recorded this summer with Vesna Pocanis, owner of A Walk in the Woods, a tour guide service specializing in knowledge of edible and medicinal wild plants, backpacking, and outdoor skills and survival, as well as local human history here in the Smokies. A Walk in the Woods has helped more than 100,000 people explore the Smokies since 1998. We spoke with Placanus at the height of summer, and she described some of the best wild edibles for that season. Please remember that picking plants is prohibited in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, but some fruits, berries, nuts, and certain mushrooms may be gathered for personal use within limits. No wild mushroom should be eaten unless its identification is absolutely certain, which usually requires an expert to determine. Many mushrooms are poisonous, some deadly, and the responsibility for eating any mushroom or fungus rests with the individual. As Vesna Plakanis told us, she has been foraging for wild edibles since childhood with her family. Her lifetime of outdoor experiences eventually led her and her husband, Eric, to become expert naturalists. We spoke with Placanus on an online video chat. Here's my co-host, Karen Key.
1: Welcome, Vesna Placanus to Smoky Mountain Air. Hi, thank you very much. Excited to be here. How did you get interested in foraging as a pastime? Well, my mother is French. French have
2: a long history of foraging for their meals, especially mushrooms. That's that was always a, a big tale that my mother and my uncles and my grandfather would tell me. From when my mom was young, she grew up during World War II, and so they supplemented their meals with foraging. So that was something that we did on a regular basis growing up as a as a child. When I went to France to spend time with my uncles and my grandfather, we would go out and forage for mushrooms and uh, greens and then we'd bring them back and then we'd have fresh delicious meals uh, and we knew where they were coming from uh, and it was a lot of fun as a kid. I remember feeling it was like an Easter egg hunt every time we'd go out and get our
0: dinner. Could you tell us about foraging and what's available this time of year?
2: So foraging is basically looking out you know in your, in your area. And, uh kind of learning what's edible what's what's uh, what's not edible it can be a lot of fun it, it, it I know a lot of people are scared because you know they hear tales of poisonous mushrooms and poisonous plants um, but there are some really easy identifiable plants in our own backyards and they're fun places to start adding wild foods to your meals um, is is Fun, first of all, but it's also good for you because it has a higher level of vitamin content than things that you might find in the grocery store, um, and it just adds a little bit of an extra, you know, zing to your meals. It's kind of fun to do something creative. But we have a lot of easy things, you know, right in our own backyards that we pretty much have, you know, from spring all the way until late summer. Um, so some of the the easy to identify plants would be things like sassafras. Sassafras tea right now is exactly what you should be making with these hot summer days. And uh, sassafras is an easy-to-identify plant. It's got three leaves. Um, if you look them up in, the, in, the, uh, in a book and then you go look out you know, in your yard or nearby woods, you'll see them. They've got uh, one that's shaped like a football, one that's shaped like a mitten, and one that's shaped like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And uh, sassafras is a great thing to start with. It shares a root system. So uh, what you want is you definitely want to use the root part of that. Um, but the great thing about a sassafras tree is it's a clone. So you're not hurting the organism. You're also not taking the whole root. You're basically just shaving off a part of it. And the old timers and the Cherokee used to make sassafras tea in the summer months to cool their body's core temperature. And so make. By the gallon, first of all, it's delicious. It's where root beer comes from. You take the root, you boil the tea until it smells very fragrant. The tea turns into a, a almost like a purplish color. I always add a tiny bit of local sourwood honey to it and put some ice in it. And then that's something you can drink all summer and it'll keep you cool. So that's just one of the many things that you know are easy right outside your yard.
1: I'm sure there are guidelines folks need to follow. It's not as simple as just picking whatever you want and eating it. So can you tell us a little bit about what you should do while you're picking?
2: Absolutely. We use the rule of three. The first one is identification and verification. And uh, even though I'm very familiar with a lot of the plants and mushrooms, you know, I always bring at least a couple of field guides just because there are some things that may look alike. And it's also, it's just a good idea to just double check. Make sure you've got the right, um, you know, thing that you're picking. The second thing is location, location, location. You don't want to be picking in places that, first of all, you don't have permission to pick in. If it's your neighbor's yard, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting their permission. If it's a national park or a national forest, you want to make sure that you're following the guidelines of those natural areas. For example, in the Smoky Mountains, uh, you are not allowed to pick. Um, you know, to dig things up, you can pick enough for your own family or for yourself. So, you know, you can pick berries, you can pick anything that's a fruit. So a mushroom is considered a fruiting body. You know, you can pick berries, uh, you know, apples, things like that that you might find. In a national forest, it's going to be a little bit different. You do need a license in certain national forests. To So if you're going to dig for like uh, ginseng or if you're going to be digging for ramps, you have to have a permit there. And then you also want to make sure that you're not going to be um, picking someplace that you might have pollutants or chemicals. So roadsides, places that have uh, been sprayed with herbicides, pesticides, things like that. You definitely don't want that. And then the third is the Cherokee Rule of Four. And that's something that is near and dear to my heart, first of all, because it's, a, it's local. It's also a good way to remember to honor the area around you. And the Cherokee Rule of Four is the first thing you do is uh, when you come to an area and you see plants, you want to skip the first one. That was what the Cherokee did. They skipped it so that their brother or sister behind them could eat. Then you skip the second one, and you do that so that the animals and insect also has something to eat. And then you skip the third one so that it reproduces, so you'll have more next year. And then you take the fourth, and when you do that, you always honor the plant. Or if you're harvesting animals, you honor the animal too. Because you're understanding that whatever that is, is giving its life for you. And uh, I think that's, in a lot of ways, m- the most important thing. Um, because, you know, it, it, that's why we say Thanksgiving. That's why we say prayers at Thanksgiving. That's why we say prayers before dinner. You know, it's just a way of, of remembering and, uh, and reminding ourselves that we're all connected to the world around us. And, um, you know, so it's just a good way to stop and sort of be meditative about the foods we're eating and the medicines we're using.
0: So you mentioned the sassafras tea. What other types of um, greens and things like that would you collect this time of year? Or have we missed a lot of that in the spring?
2: Yeah, so we did miss some things in the spring. There are still some things that are good crossovers. Uh, chickweed right now is all over the place. Chickweed is a really beautiful succulent, um, almost a mat. So it just grows and grows and grows and grows. And that's something you can like pick in clumps and you won't even know this that you have picked because it just grows so thickly. You find those in little cool brooks and strains or in kind of wet, you know, roadside areas. Um, thistle, believe it or not, thistle is something that's actually kind of delicious. And uh, if you can get past the prickles, you kind of peel it and it tastes almost like a celery. If you can get dandelions right now, dandelion greens, they're a little bit bitter because they've grown, but it's good to have some bitters in your in your diet. The dandelion heads are delicious. Dandelions are full of vitamin A, vitamin C. They're good for kidneys. They're good for livers. Uh, what else? Watercress is very delicious right now. That's more of a, of a peppery that's in a mustard family. So that adds a little zing to your whatever you're making, your salads. Cattail roots. If you can get immature cattails and just dig up the root, it tastes just like a cucumber. So refreshing, so delicious this time of year. If you walk around and you look at your hemlock trees, the very tips are light green. That tastes like a rosemary. So that adds a a nice little herb to whatever you're making, whether it's a salad or something like that. And then as far as mushrooms go this time of year, you know, we're past morel season. You will find some summer oyster mushrooms, but my favorite are chicken mushrooms. And uh, this is a great time of year for chicken mushrooms. Those are really easy to identify and they really do taste like chicken. (laughs) So those are a few I can think of. Sounds good. So is there a recipe you'd like to share with us? Well, yes. So, you know, something that actually I'm making for dinner tonight is a wild food frittata. And I happen to have found uh, some chicken mushroom. And then earlier this season, I found some oyster mushrooms that I dehydrated. So I'm going to rehydrate the oyster mushrooms in a little bit of uh, water and a little bit of cream and fried dandelion heads. So I'm going to uh, pick some dandelion heads and uh, quick fry them. Gonna add some wild onions, so I'm going to sauté all of those things together in olive oil, a little bit of salt and pepper, and local farm fresh eggs. Three eggs, about a half a cup of cream, a little bit of salt and pepper. Take what I fried, put them in a pan uh, in a in like a cake pan, cover it up with that cream. And uh, today I think I'm going to use goat cheese. So I'm going to just spread goat cheese on top of that and uh, bake it until it's nice and firm. And then I'm going to make a uh, wild food salad. And uh, I did find some uh, some dandelion greens. I've got a lot of chickweed that I picked. I have some uh, fresh uh, violet leaves in my yard, which are a good spinach substitute. More of those wild onions. And uh, then I'm going to make a vinaigrette with uh, some good olive oil, red wine vinegar, salt and pepper, and a little Dijon mustard and uh, homemade French bread.
1: That's it. That's dinner tonight. Mmm, that sounds so delicious. You're making me hungry. Me too.
0: (laughs) When you do those programs like you did for us last year at the Members Weekend where you're showing some of the wild foods that are edible, how do people usually react to that? How do they respond to tasting these things that are wild? I don't
2: normally tell people what they're eating first. <laughs> um, and so then when I reveal, they're very surprised because you can make delicious foods with whatever you've got out in your front yard. And um, so uh, I think that's what it is. People are surprised, you know, especially the dandelion heads. That's always a, a, a big, you know, kind of question mark. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm eating a dandelion head? And they're good. They You know, I, I like to uh, batter and fry them. Um, in like a pancake batter, and then serve them with, um, with like blue cheese dressing or something like that, or, you know, add it to as I'm doing tonight, my frittatas. But yeah, I think people are always pleasantly surprised.
0: When you talked about using some of the chickweed and the different plants, what's the proper way to harvest that? You don't pull it up by the roots, I guess, if you're not using the roots.
2: Right. No, you want to kind of cut towards the bottom. It goes, goes back to that Cherokee rule of four where you want wanting to make sure to leave it so it can propagate itself. Um, so with that, you want, it, you want to just uh, cut it you know, about an inch or so above where the roots are. Uh, and a lot of it is going to depend on the time of year as to what part of the plant you're harvesting. So in the winter months, um, you're going to want to concentrate more on the roots and the things towards the bottom because that's where all the energy of the plant has gone. In the springtime, you're going to want to concentrate more on the leaves you know, and the branches if you're happen, you know, making something out of that. And, and so you, know, you want to sort of be cognizant of, of that and the time of year and, and what it is that the, the plant is offering you. Um, great example is later on in the season, cattail roots are going to be um, mushy. But the, the head, the corn itself is going to be a delicious cooked, um, you know, edible too. So there's different parts of the plant that are beneficial different times of the year. And that's what you'll want to concentrate on harvesting. The ideal is that people behind you or if they're coming, you know, if they're hiking wherever you're, you're gathering, they won't know that you've been there. And that's really what you want to do to be sustainable and also just respectful of the place around you.
1: Yeah, that kind of goes back to leave no trace with everything that we do in the wilderness that we should have those leave no trace principles. 100%. Yeah.
2: So I never go and defoliate a plant. I'll take one or two from one and then I'll move on to the next.
0: So you've talked to us a lot about edible plants. How about medicinal plants? Do you study those at all?
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of the things are crossovers. Um, You know, a lot of the things that you're eating, you're eating for your health anyway, but um, sassafras, I'll go back to that. That to me is just such a great, you know, plant to use. We used it when our daughter was little, when she used to spike really high fevers and um, it brought her body's core temperature down right away to more of a manageable level. She also used to get really bad ear infections so I used to make a tincture out of uh, garlic, and then I would look for wild mullen and um, put in olive oil, and then put that in her ear, and that was soothing, but also it, um, you know, was healing. Uh, so a lot of these things you can use, you know, if you're eating them, but you could also use for health purposes. Um, let's see, another one, good, a good one is tea from things like pines or a hemlock tree. Around here, I've got two giant very healthy hemlock trees in my yard and that's full of vitamin C so if we feel like we're coming down with you know a cold we're not feeling really great um, or my dad recently visited and he had bronchitis so I made him a big batch of hemlock tea and uh, one eight ounce glass is more vitamin C than an orange and so it just kind of packs a good punch so yeah those are some of those and then of course, you know, the roots of dandelions are good for kidney, for you know liver ailments, good kidney cleanse. you can actually buy uh, dandelion tea in a store and it's specifically for kidney ailments, uh, liver ailments. And uh, you know that brings me back to the identification and verification. You know there are things that are poisonous, and um, so you really want to make sure that you're taking your time, you're looking it up, you're studying, and quite frankly, when you're getting into this, um, you know, particular type of hobby, go with somebody who knows what they're talking about because they will point things out, they will talk about the poisonous aspects of plants, and they will show you how to identify things. I think the class that you attended last year, you know, we looked at leaf patterns. We looked at, you know, bark structure. We looked at areas of growth. Um, And so there are, there are some, you know, good, good uh, books to use, Audubon, Peterson's Field Guides, you know, things like that. But I really recommend when you're starting out, go with an expert.
0: Thank you for that reminder, Vesna. We definitely want to make sure everyone's being safe out there.
1: Yes. Why is all this plant and wild food knowledge important to people today?
2: Well, I think we're living it right now (laughs) during coronavirus. Um, I went to the grocery store the other day and I was shocked by my bill. I mean, groceries have increased. I think I was reading anywhere from 25 to 30%. So that's why people have gardens right now. That's why people are raising chickens. And that's why people are foraging, A. B., you know, you're going to get more vitamins, you're going to get more minerals from things that have not been cultivated, that haven't been shipped across country, that haven't been picked before they're ripe. Um, and so you're, you're infusing your body, you know, and you're taking care of your family with things that are right in your own backyard. Um, and they're also going to be healthier for you. And then third, during this, this incredibly stressful moment in history, You know, it just feels so good to go outside and to concentrate on, you know, looking for things and just, you know, get away from the news and and the phone
0: and just go out there. It's just so meditative. So Vesna, are the Smoky Mountains what brought you here?
2: Yes, absolutely. When I I was in college, my parents uh, lived in Knoxville. uh, And so I would come, you know, for weekends and completely fell in love with it. First time I saw it, driving over the Kentucky-Tennessee border, it was fall, and I just remember seeing those mountains in just all their brilliant fall colors, and I thought, this is where I'm going to live. It just got under my skin.
0: So how did you come to open up A Walk in the Woods?
2: Well, my husband and I were living in Atlanta, and uh, busy world. I was not happy with, uh, you know, traffic in the big city and watching, you know, all the little neighborhoods get torn down for, you know, another development. We backpacked and hiked and did all of that as a pastime anyway. And um, one day we were having a picnic in downtown Atlanta and kind of fantasizing about how we saw our lives. Played around with, you know, maybe we'll move to Alaska and we'll homestead and, you know, all these different ideas. Uh, We went to a coffee shop and picked up a magazine, and in the magazine was an article about a man in Dahlonega, Georgia, has a school called Medicine Bow, where he teaches um, how the Cherokee used to live. So we started taking these naturalist certification courses from him. After that, it was like, okay, we, we know what we want to do. Where do we do it? And I was always in love with the Smoky, so I sent my husband on a, a 10-day backpacking trip. And he fell in love, too. And then uh, we said, OK, let's take the plunge and do it. So 22 years later, here we are.
0: For people who haven't been to a walk in the woods, tell us about it.
2: Well, uh, we're a guide service that, uh, you know, kind of specializes in introducing people to the natural world with direct positive experiences in nature. So, you know, we try to be very hands on. We try to, um, you know, kind of make the, the area come alive. And so, um, you know, our guides are all storytellers. Um, You know, we'll always bring things that people can try um, so that they can taste the things that they're looking at and see what that's all about. We're very experiential. We want people to to touch things and to, you know, play in carpet moss and kind of feel just how wonderful and cool and thick that is. Um, and so it's just, it's just an opportunity to be really, really connected directly, um, you know, to whatever trail you're on. Um, and our guides are, you know, just, they're so passionate. They love that. They, you know, they're like little kids themselves. They come alive.
1: I have been on a hike with, a walk in the woods, leaders, it's really awesome because it brings something so different to, you know, just hiking by yourself because there are things that they pick out that you wouldn't know otherwise. Maybe you're not looking up or you're not looking down. It's just really cool to go with leaders who, and they're so knowledgeable about the park and the trails and the wildlife. It's really something to be said about going on a lead hike like that.
2: Our guides are wonderful. They're so education oriented and they're so passionate about the park and the natural world in general. So, and I think that really shows. Definitely.
0: So the Smokies are one of the most biodiverse places for plants. How does that encourage you and kind of drive your passion for wild foods?
2: Well, it's exciting and uh, it teaches me that I don't know... Nearly enough. <laughs> I'm constantly coming across plants that I have no idea what they are, um, but that's fun. It's challenging, you know. It's a it's a lot of fun. I've got that iNaturalist app, and so I've been using that quite a bit. Um, and just in walking around, you know, I have a couple of pocket field guides. Um, even if I'm not foraging, just because I'm constantly finding things that I have no idea what they are. But I'm in good company because a lot of scientists don't know what's out there. (laughs) The the estimate from the Discover Life in America is that there's another 60,000 species that are undiscovered in the Smoky Mountains.
1: That's
0: incredible. Yeah.
1: What would you tell someone who is reluctant to try wild foods?
2: You know, even if you're not going to gather these foods, even if you're nervous about it, you know, I encourage you to go pick up a couple of field guides, pick up the Peterson's field guide to wild edibles, pick up an Audubon guide to wildflowers, um, and to trees and go spend some time outside, you know, look at something, look at this, the structure of the leaves, familiarize yourself with, um, what these plants are in your own backyard. And, you know, I guarantee you, if you can go out there and, you know, learn to identify, you know, it's going to become kind of a, of, of a habit. Um, you know, my husband and I, you know, we were joking a few years ago, we were in New York City, we we're walking through Central Park, and we were identifying all these wild edibles, you know, just walking through the park, and you can't help it. It's kind of fun. You know, you're not going to necessarily pick them. But it's really cool to be, you know, in, in areas all over the country and go, oh, that's so and so. And uh, it's just, it's, you know, it's like stepping into a painting, you know, you look at a painting, and then you're actually stepping into that world, and it just opens up um, the natural world for you.
0: Vesna Placanis, thank you so much for joining us today. We loved hearing about the different plants, and the recipes are making us hungry right now.
2: (laughs) I had fun. Thank you for having me today, ladies. I
1: hope you guys are doing well. See You too. Thanks again, Vesna.
0: Vesta Placanis is a naturalist, guide, and expert of edible and medicinal plants. She and her husband, Eric, own A Walk in the Woods, a full-range tour guide service emphasizing direct, fun, and positive experiences with nature in the Smokies. Check their website, awalkinthewoods.com, or contact them by email, info at awalkinthewoods.com, to inquire about programs.
1: Look for more episodes in our series, Smoky Mountain Air, from Great Smoky Mountains Association to come soon. Our theme music is from Old Time Smoky Mountain Music, GSMA's Grammy Nominated Music Collection, available at smokiesinformation.org. Bird Recordings by Mark Dunaway. Thanks for listening.